Hello and welcome to Podcastaways and Cutouts, a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. My name is Will, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes. Hi, Liz. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, sleepy. It's late for me. Yeah, thank you for doing this uh, kind of late on a weeknight. Thank you for – I was going to say um, thanks for accommodating my schedule, but you canceled on me first technically, so. Yeah, but your <laughs> reason for cancellation was more insurmountable <laughs> than mine was. So um, we were going to record our Goslings. We were going to record on um, Sunday night. And mm-hmm. instead, you know, you may remember an episode from last season where my alternator broke while I was driving and my car turned off. Oh, yeah. Well, guess what? <laughs> that didn't happen <laughs> this time, but we were in Kenny's car and the bolts, the studs, um, mm. well, the bolts weren't tightened on well enough when he got new tires. Mm-hmm. So the studs started breaking as we were driving back from guest bug, guest bud Mike's house uh, in North mm-hmm. Jersey. And four out of five of them broke before we were able to get to our friends, uh, Kathy and Anthony's house. Hello to Kathy and Anthony. Thank you for providing us with food and shelter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, I think, the scariest driving I've ever done. I mean, it mm. like if you imagine a cartoon sound of what it would sound like right before a wheel were about to fall off. Sure. That's what it yeah. sounded like. Where I kept saying, it feels like the wheel's going to fall off. And I just felt that like mm-hmm. that was ridiculous because that's a ridiculous thing. Like, that doesn't happen. There's no reason for that to happen on this car that was just running fine. And lo and behold, sure. that's what happened. So mm. um, we were stranded and we had to wait until the next day for them to fix it. And uh, I was about to text you to say that I had to cancel when you said, oh, I think I might get dinner with a friend. a a friend from out of town yes so more special occasion than that (laughs) yeah we're about as close to falling behind as we've ever been Mm -hmm. we're recording this on a wednesday night and releasing it the following monday yeah so uh yeah no longer are we the you know recording well in advance predictors of the future which is the present for the listener. Uh, we're uh, playing a sort of catch up. But that said, I do have something to talk about with you with time travel. Oh, please. <laughs> so I, I have two notes. The first is there was one thing that really stood out to me in terms of time travel that pissed me off. And I didn't bring it up in the episode because I wanted you to see the movie and experience it yourself. Okay. And you just watched it. Interesting. What did you just watch? Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Quite a few weeks back, I got a DVD out of the library, and uh, it was, I thought it was based on your recommendation. It which was. I get. It yeah, was. It, it was, which in hindsight, I think is weird. And uh, that movie is called uh, When Marnie Was There. Uh-huh. When yeah. Marnie Was Here. Uh, okay. Maybe. No, I always get this wrong. Let me look. Well, we're both going to look it up, which is <laughs> it, I'll, I'll race you. Yeah, it's it's there. Okay, I said it right. You're right. Um, it, it's. I mean, that's indicative of of the fact that it's it's not a very good title. No, it's not. And it's uh, and, and it's based off of the book's title, but still. How old is the book? I think the Do you know. I think the 60s. Oh, okay. So that doesn't go along with my theory 
I have a theory that um, we're basically out of good titles. <laughs> like all the good titles have been used. Yeah. And the majority of new titles for new things are bad. Uh, but if you're telling me that that title is like 50 years old, then uh, that's not really evidence of my theory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a 1967 novel. Wow. Of the same name. Okay. English novel that they then made, I guess in um, the Japanese version, it like more directly translates to Marnie of My Memories. Okay. But the um, American, the English version has the yeah. same title as the English book. Uh-huh. It's a Studio Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. But not a Hayao Miyazaki film. Mm-hmm. And yes, Dana and I watched it. And you brought it up. Are you, you, you haven't asked me another question about it. Yeah. So I, I feel like you weren't nearly as mad as I was. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was not happy. So it's, can we agree it's a beautiful movie? Like. Visually, yes. Yeah. Yes, like the way that they do water and stuff like that. Sure. I texted you that there was a lot of good-looking food yes. in the film, which mm-hmm. is true. Um, And so it's about this girl uh, who's adopted, and she uh, is sort of sent away to some family friends for a while, for the summer, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she starts meeting up with this girl, Marnie, um, who sort of... And it's sort of very, it's very dreamlike. She sort of appears and disappears. It seems likely that she is a ghost. Yes. Because she is seen inside of a house, which is believed to be abandoned for Mm -hmm. some time. Mm -hmm. So she seems like a ghost haunting that house. And they're on, um, they're on like a bay. So, um. That's very calm, but the sort of tide will come in and out. So the water will be very high and very low. And and that is um, like creating some sort of uh, meaning in terms of how people can and cannot like reach each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's this like the girl that is visiting is like kind of butch, I would say. Like she's a tomboy. Um, androgynous she's very androgynous and then the marnie is like super femme blonde like big fluff curls just like you know gorgeous Mm -hmm. and they start having this these trysts where they're just having these incredibly intense and intimate moments sure um and there's one scene at the very beginning in particular where she's teaching her how to row a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marnie is teaching. Do you remember the main character's name that isn't Marnie? No. She's teaching that main character's uh, that main character how to row a boat and, and that character blushes. And when that happened, I was like, oh, this is like this is a movie about female friendship, but it's coded like mm-hmm. it's coded so queer. Yeah. And you then realize, you know, you realize pretty quickly that when she's with Marnie, that it's sort of like old timey because occasionally she's with Marnie and you see like other people, Mm -hmm. but it's like, so it's clearly so much further in the past. Yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, what happens? By the way, I Googled it. I think the character's name is Anna. Anna. If what I'm seeing is correct. That sounds right. And basically there's, uh, an older woman, uh, there's a woman in the village who is old enough to remember the story of Marnie and, uh, how she was a girl X many years ago and the tragic stuff that happened to her as she grew up, uh, had a child, her child had a child, her child died, uh, the grandchild was a baby, and that baby was the main character, Anna. Yeah, she, it was, it was Which prompted a, me to text you, Hot for, for grandma. grandma, oh, gay for you grandma. Gave her grandma, dot, 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 okay. Yeah, it's like. It's it's infuriating. I mean, I mm-hmm. think when I realized it was the grandma, which was probably later than I should have, I actually yelled, what? No, 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 no. And then Kenny and I were talking about it, and Kenny kept doing this thing where he was, like, in the kitchen, we were talking, and he'd stick his head out and be like, I mean, it just seemed, and then he'd, like, stick his, and then he'd, like, keep doing something, and he'd keep talking, and he'd stick his head out, and he'd be like, because, I mean, it seemed, it was gay, right? Like, it was very gay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I, feels like a real manipulation of time travel to me. That feels like a big, big old trick. Yeah, it's bad. It's a bad idea. And uh, it started out as seeming like kind of a good idea that was well executed. And then it turned out to be, in the end, a bad idea executed i guess as well as you could execute execute that bad idea (laughs) and i also understand that it's based on this novel but like fuck the novel like edit it (laughs) rewrite the story yeah yeah you know find a different novel um so that was the one thing and then i wanted to bring up probably the most manipulative thing to happen on this is us with time travel oh boy so Mandy Moore's character, it, it was a Thanksgiving episode. Mm-hmm. It's the most recent uh, Thanksgiving. I mean, it might be the most recent episode, actually, at this point, but um, I'm not sure if a new episode's come out yet. But uh, Mandy Moore is starting to have, quote unquote, little senior moments on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, boy. And so interspersed throughout the rest of the episode, she gets into a fight with Randall, played by Sterling K. Brown. Um, where they're having Thanksgiving and says she's going to go for a walk, see a movie, and she'll be back in time for dinner. So throughout the episode, uh, Sterling K. Brown keeps texting her. She's not responding. He's getting more and more worried. Mandy Moore, you see, going for a walk. Uh, They do a lot of things with the camera where you sort of see directly from her perspective, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Like in A Handmaid's Tale when we're like mm-hmm. uh seeing her point down the barrel of the gun. Um but everything's sure. going like fuzzy. Um mm-hmm. and you realize that she's having trouble remembering things. Mm-hmm. She um sees who she thinks is um another character uh Sterling K oh, Randall Sterling K Brown's um biological father, but he died in the first season yeah. so it's not him. Mhm. She uh, goes to the grocery store, asks where the bakery is because she was going to get a pie to bring back for Thanksgiving. I don't know who these people are going to the grocery store on Thanksgiving to buy a pie, but okay. Um, and, there are all kinds of people. <laughs> and she p- 
picks up flowers and then never goes to the bakery section, even though she's just asked where it is, and then accidentally leaves her phone at the grocery store um, because she had gone through her purse to get out her wallet. And then she goes to a Chinese restaurant to eat something because she hasn't eaten anything. And at this point, she realizes she doesn't know how to get home. She has lost her phone. She doesn't know how to call her son or anybody because she does not know his number. Yeah. And she's escorted by police to not Randall's house on Thanksgiving, but to another location, which is a cabin that we know that they stayed at as children. And you realize that at some point in this little montage of events that I described. They just cut to a different time in her life. Yes. And it's, I guess, nine months later or something like that. Cool. But, and so you see that she's had like this decline or whatever. And Mm -hmm. then it cuts back to Thanksgiving and she's opening the door to the house and she's like perfectly lucid. Mm -hmm. And she's like holding a pie and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I must have turned my phone off after the movie. Uh, or I turned my phone off on the, uh, during before the movie and I must have not turned it on. I'm here. I'm fine. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then goes into the kitchen and says, uh, I was halfway through the trailer of Cats before I realized that I couldn't remember what movie I was seeing. Like, I should probably what? see a doctor. What? Well, it's the current day, Will. <laughs> and that's like a marker for like, <laughs> now you know you're in the present day. Yeah. Because it's like... <laughs> It's it's because it's very uncommon nowadays for movies to be remade and to have the same title. <laughs> I brought so, that up like, specifically because I knew it would piss you off, by the way. So like a few like this is going to be like timeless. Like the story, yeah. the episode that you just described to me is going to be uh, timeless uh-huh. and it's going to be watched five, 10, 20 years mm-hmm. from now. And it's going to be uh, understood, and it's going to stand that test of time. But yes, this this in particular was incredibly manipulative because it was a trick. And I mean, yeah. This Is Us is known for tricking us, but it was a trick. But it was also this, like, it just felt, this one felt particularly underhanded. Yeah. Um, because the thing that you were so worried about still does happen. It just happens only a few months in the future. Um, it, it's kind of like, um, did you see the movie Arrival? No. We never talked about Arrival uh, when we talked about time travel and stories being told out of sequence like this. Mm-hmm. We we just talked about This Is Us and like I brought up Lost. Do you care about spoilers for Arrival? No. So basically, I'll try to be vague about it. But like you see in the beginning of the movie what you assume is the main character's backstory. Mm-hmm. And then you see what's ha- what what happens to her afterward, quote unquote, in the present, mm-hmm. and and the present is interspersed with flashbacks to that time that you understand as backstory, and then you find out that it's inverted. Oh, and uh, there's a reason for this, mm-hmm. which is it is a movie about. Aliens who don't perceive time in a linear fashion Mm -hmm. coming to Earth, visiting us and teaching us as humans to start to perceive time the way they do. Mm -hmm. So uh, it manipulates your expectations as an audience member, but that mimics 
what the main character is going through Mm -hmm. because she's experiencing like glimpses of her future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What you just described to me in that episode of This Is Us sounds to me like, what if you did that thing from Arrival, but there was no story reason for it? (laughs) There was no like in story. Like it was just, it was just a framing device meant to manipulate the audience. Yes. And there was no justification for it outside of like, well, we can do this. And I think And it'll make Liz cry, so why not? Exactly. And it it especially make me cry because my grandmother has had Alzheimer's and my um my maternal grandmother and my maternal great great grandmother. So the whole way down the matrilineal line. Did you say great great? Or sorry, great grandmother, not great great. I actually don't know about my great 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 grandmother. Who knows? But I'm certain I've decided that my mother is going to have Alzheimer's mm. and that I will watch her slow decline and that it will be a true devastation for me and that I then will follow in those footsteps. And this is great because then when I'm proven wrong, it'll be very pleasant and happy. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's something I think about all the time. And so, yeah, I cried a lot at these episodes and I, I haven't rewatched it, but there must be a time where her clothing changes but she's just like old Mandy Moore just wears a lot a lot a lot of like fucking well, cardigans over blouses with like slacks so well that's why you're why there are so many point of view shots so that they yeah. don't have to put her in the shot and you won't see any markers of the fact that it's not the same time or the as same before. season it's like again it's uh-huh. like the summer i think <laughs> Uh, yeah, so hence, like, things out of focus. Like, oh, yeah. well, well, we can put everything out of focus because, like, sh- that's how she'll see when she has dementia. Yeah. So so I assume you're getting your mom a book of crossword puzzles for Christmas Oh, my God. Year. I get her these things all the time. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Good. Yeah. I sent her – there's, like, an app, I think. And I was like, Mom, you should do this app. And then she gets mad at me. She gets really mad <laughs> at me and Blake about it. And then we say Margaret. And she says, don't – I'm your mother. <laughs> uh i'm gonna appropriate some language that i've seen people retweeting and sometimes clowning on on twitter recently when i say uh liz are you in the appropriate emotional mindset uh for me to uh poke fun at you a little bit yeah i am okay uh, I want to say that uh, you have my gift for uh, summarizing stories, <laughs> uh, which is to say <laughs> uh, you do it badly, <laughs> and so do I, uh, because we uh, just say every detail that we can remember. Yes, it's ne- true. Necessary or not. And if you'll remember, uh, my favorite part about you explaining a story is you saying, do you know about this thing? Yeah. And right. me saying no, and you saying, let me provide you that yeah. story, and yeah, now I you will need tell to know, you the actual story. <laughs> you need to know about this in order to get the inside joke that I want to tell you yes. at the end of the secondary part. So anyway, yeah. that that's my whole time travel update, because I, and I bring this up again. I know we brought it up in another episode, too, when I was talking mm-hmm. about She-Ra, but uh, I am seeing this all over the place, and these mm-hmm. were two pro- – well, when Marnie was here, I wanted to bring up, but I couldn't. Um, mm-hmm. Because I wanted you to experience it, though not apparently not get as furious as I did. And mm-hmm. and by the way, I've Googled this. I've Googled like, I think what I Googled was like, uh, when Marnie was there is like a weird queer, or like a weird gay switcheroo, huh? Yeah. 
And everyone else I, is like, yeah. I looked it up on Letterboxd after I watched it oh, because yeah. I thought like, oh, if I look at the reviews on Letterboxd, then like all the top reviews will be people making jokes about this really weird twist at the yeah. end of this movie. And all the top reviews are just people like giving like tri- heartfelt tributes to Studio Ghibli and like loving it, except for one review mm-hmm. that I found that just said, I can't believe Studio Ghibli queer baited me. Yes. Yes. It's t- it's such queer baiting. Yeah. Um, And then and then I did want to bring up the This Is Us thing because that was I mean, they've never done anything like that since like the first episode when you assumed you, everything was in the mm-hmm. same timeline yeah tricky tricky so will Happy thanksgiving yeah i think we should yeah. get into the the meat of this why not i believe we're talking about the uh septemberists no oh mm. the october the octoberers the october fests october fests uh-huh. Oh, yeah. No. No, you're thinking of the early November. <laughs> I can't believe you got there before I even did in my brain. <laughs> We're talking about a band I wish I loved, the Decemberists. Yes, and a band that I have loved for several years. And when we started doing this podcast and I was in the mindset of, oh, I'll pick the things that I love the most because those are the things that I'm smug about. And those will be my episode topics. And I thought, well, naturally, the the December should be one of them. And the reason that I didn't do it in season one was I thought I can't do it the way that I want to effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason why for long stretches of time, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a podcast and then didn't do it Mm -hmm. and the main reason it wasn't time it wasn't you know lack of desire or anything to talk about it was just like the technical limitations of like i've tried it before and i know when i listen back to it i'm gonna think it sounds like shit Mm -hmm. and it's not gonna sound like the podcast that i listen to and that's what i want from it Mm -hmm. because anything else is kind of gross Mm -hmm. And uh, for that reason, I thought, okay, if I were devoting an episode to, like, I like this band, then, like, we should be, like, listening to their songs, like, on podcasts that we've mentioned, that I've mentioned before, uh, You Talking You Two to Me mm-hmm. with Adam Scott Ackerman and their sequel podcast, Are You Talking R.E.M. Remy. Uh, R.E.M. happens to be a band very influential on the Decemberists mm-hmm. uh, by by coincidence. <clears throat> but really, and, and, and I'm going to use this as a transition to hit it back to you to get a baseline. It's really more like a, a podcast that preceded either of those podcasts, which is called Analyze Fish. Did, did, did you did you ever hear of Analyze Fish? No. You remember the the late great uh, Harris Winnells? Yes. Yeah. Before Scott Ackerman was uh, hosting any music podcasts with uh, Adam Scott, mm-hmm. um, Scott Ackerman and Harris Whittles did a podcast called Analyze Fish. Uh, Harris Whittles, uh, uh, comedy writer for Parks and Recreation, etc. Um, uh, extremely funny 
man now sadly deceased he loved the band fish Mm -hmm. and so the premise of the podcast was uh harris loves fish can he get scott to like fish because (laughs) scott does not care for fish Uh uh-huh uh and that was all it was (laughs) (laughs) and that's a bit more like this than the u2 or the rem podcast where it's two hosts who love the band that they're talking about so yeah so, Liz, what's your relationship to this band? When I was in high school, mm. you're like, oh, God. Uh, mm. There was a band uh, called Adu um, that played Adu. at the LPYC, the Lower Paxton Youth Center, where I volunteered. And they um, played covers um, of some songs. They did a cover of Wake Up by the Arcade Fire. Uh, which uh-huh. was incredible. Um, they had a dude with like a giant drum that he would beat on for like the bump, sure. bump, 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 bump that like normally was not in the band. And I, but I already listened to the Arcade Fire. And then they did a cover of the song Engine Driver. Sure. Um, which was beautiful. And I was like, this is incredible. And then I listened to that song a lot by the Decemberists. Yeah. And then I would every so often for the next five years or so, especially once I got into college and I knew you, for example, mm-hmm. listen to more of them and really try to love them. And much like uh, Watermelon could not. Mm. Very sad. So I'll see what I can do to try to bring you around to liking them at least a little bit more in this conversation but so let's let's start from a place of uh you know uh, uh, increasing the the chances that you'll have positive feelings about them by using what we know you like to to my advantage mm-hmm. let's hear a little bit of the engine driver so since this is an amateur podcast and not the professional one that i you know held me back from doing any amateur podcasting for so long uh wanting it to be professional i'm going to be playing these songs out of a pretty good uh bluetooth speaker uh that's going to play into the microphone Mm -hmm. uh that i talk into um and uh before i do before i we'll just listen we're not going to listen to a whole song but we'll listen to like a minute of it or something like that and we'll talk about it. And before I play any of this one, just real quick, does fair use mean anything to you? Yeah, it has to do with how much of something you're allowed to use before you have to pay for it. Yeah, that may be true. Or, <laughs> yeah, it might be true in some cases. Yeah. I'm I'm going to say, so the other thing that was holding me back from doing this particular episode of the podcast was thinking like, I don't understand if you're allowed to do that Mm -hmm. from like a copyright standpoint, but like they do it a lot on other podcasts I listen to. And I think the difference is um, they're, they're talking about the music. They're Mm -hmm. not just playing it Mm -hmm. and like using it as if it were their own. My understanding of fair use is that one, one thing that counts as fair use is you can use someone else's copyrighted work of art as long as you are using it for the purposes of doing commentary on it. Mm. That's my understanding. So, so that's why I think we're we're covered legally, uh, and and I guess we'll find out if we're do. not. And 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 that's why we are going to strictly 
provide some commentary on each uh, song that we listen to. Mm-hmm. So this is the start of The Engine Driver by The Decemberists. This is off of their album Picaresque. Mm-hmm. And basically what you just heard was verse one and then the pre-chorus. And then next you would hear verse two, the pre-chorus again, and then the chorus. Mm -hmm. And then verse three, etc. And what you didn't hear was the real chorus, which is where they sing, I am a writer, writer of fictions, Uh the heart that you call home. So talk a little bit about what uh, you like about this song. Um, I like the way that it builds because you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't follow a very standard sort of pop sequence of a. Close to it, but yeah. And, and that felt different to me. I loved, Mm -hmm. and if you don't love me, let me go. Um, I loved the line I really liked the most was there are power lines in our bloodlines. Yeah, that's a good one. My friend, Jeremy knew I loved that line and made me a shirt, which I think might be on my quilt now. I'll I'll find a picture of it if it's on my quilt that I made. Mm-hmm. Um that had he never finished it, but he did give it to me. It had an anatomical heart, um, mm-hmm. but where the top vessels would be, uh they turned into electrical poles with power lines coming out mm-hmm. of the top. And it was so yeah. cool. Um yeah. but also um the fictions thing made a lot more sense to me when I was a young person that was writing more fiction. Right. And I was knew I was going to school for writing. Yeah. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that the um, one boy in this band, um, I had like a little bit of a schoolgirl crush on. And I say schoolgirl because like we never dated or any or like made out or anything. But oh, the, the, in the cover band. Well, you, well, he yes, they weren't a cover band. They just did a cover okay. of the song. But okay. Um, yeah, he uh, was this, like, adorable boy that was, like, the same height as me, and he had this, like, curly hair, and we would waltz. So, like, he would sing the – would, they would play the song, and I would, like, sing along with it, and then for they'd be there for the rest of the show. And so he and I would, like, hold hands and, like, waltz together and, like, um, be very cute. Um, mm-hmm. And now he's, like, a like – a, Oh, what are those called? Like a men's rights activist. So, oh no. Yeah, he. I posted something about trans rights um, in the military, and he did a laugh reaction. Mm. Uh, and this was after some other hostile commentary we or uh, communications we had had on Facebook, yeah. where he had been saying things like uh, he actually had. I think like he had asked a question about like feminism 
like that's too general, but it was like he had asked some question and I had said, oh, uh, like here, here are some resources. And he had screenshotted what I had said and or what some or no, no, somebody else had sent him resources, but it was on my post. And he screenshotted this whole conversation and posted it on his wall with like uh, some sort of like laughing emoji or something condescending. Yeah. Right. And I was like, so I guess you didn't read them. And he just like never said anything. And then the trans thing happened. And I was like, what happened, man? You were so yeah. cute. Like, and he, di- he didn't seem, I mean, you know, it's like you go back and then you can see how somebody was like sort of shitty. But at the time you didn't realize it was shitty. I looked back and I was just like, you were just so sweet. And like, it was so good. And like, it felt so warm to like touch you. And you just like, we were just singing songs and hanging out. And I think actually what happened is that he graduated from college and couldn't get a job and felt like he deserved one. And I'm sure that in his spare time, he was probably on certain corners of the internet that have that sort of corrupting influence on even seemingly normal people. Like, I think his Uh, profile was a picture of Hillary Clinton, like, well after Trump had been elected. You have a lot of uh, uh, bad uh, Facebook stories like that. You gotta, you gotta do some some weeding or some weaning. I well, I did. I blocked him. But that That's said, good. even with that, my point is, is my my sort of baseline is like I have these like really warm, intimate, affectionate memories of this song. Yeah, and I, I presently have like kind of a complicated relationship with this song because um, it is a song that I loved and thought was one of their best mm-hmm. at a, at a time in my life that I look back on with some like embarrassment, mm. you know, it, it it's kind of, I mean, it's an achingly sincere song. Yes. It, it has kind of an emo quality mm-hmm. that I think makes a young person like younger you or younger me hear the lyrics of this song and go like, oh my God, it's me. It's a uh-huh. song. It's a song for me about me. Uh, and so uh, the the fact that this is like the one singular song that you've singled out of theirs as like your song by them is like a little frustrating. <laughs> but I will. I think well, the other thing too is like, and I mean, we'll talk more about this, but like, I feel like you're 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 much more attached to uh, the things from that time. I'm so attached to the things that you loved, and and you have a lot of affection for them. Where I have some disdain. Some shame. <laughs> I I wouldn't go as far as sustain disdain, but shame uh, uh, certainly. Well, and I, I think sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh no, it's fine. I I think the other thing I'll say here is that like. When I've listened to their other songs, they felt more grating to me, and I think. And and you know I'm not one to be too particular about um like I listen to like hardcore. I listen to mm-hmm. things that are noisy and dissonant just as much as I listen to pop music. And so yeah. um I could not get over how just like clangy some of their songs sounded and Engine mm. Driver is sweeter, I feel like, than mm-hmm. a lot of their songs and um less like sounds like it's coming out of like a phonograph yeah so yeah the phonograph thing is is fair and it is i think an important part of the characterization of this band 
which is that uh, a lot of their stuff is uh, is old timey, right? Mm-hmm. In a in a way that's supposed to be uh, fun and whimsical, and it, yeah, and whimsical, and it goes back to what we said previously when we were talking about music in the context of the making a mix episode where I admitted that like I'm drawn to things that might seem like novelty acts and that that other people might, you know, consider not serious enough to Mm -hmm. be like a favorite or like truly great or something like that. Um, So uh, quick background, like I'll try to do like the speed round version of like some, some, beginning of my relationship with this band as a transition into hearing another song um so you've talked about brand new and and uh we've talked about my taste in music in the making a mix episode Mm -hmm. and basically um so you've gotten some of this context already but but to fill in some of the gaps um i remember being a child and not uh caring about music um, there were other forms of media that I cared about and we all have this like, you know, limited amount of time and different interests. And I, I, I think in terms of like types of media as like shifting priorities. So like right now for the past few years, I've been like all in on movies mm-hmm. and that has kind of like pushed out some other things like TV and books. At, at, at the beginning of my relationship with being a media consumer, um, um, the big three for me were TV, books, and video games. Mm-hmm. Those were those were what I cared about. And then like movies were like an afterthought, and like music, I didn't, I didn't. It, it was for adults, yeah. You know? And then I I remember one time hanging out with some of my older cousins and listening to it could have been the radio or it could have been a CD. And um, what's that song that goes, uh, do, 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 Semi-Charm Kind of Life? Yeah, it's Semi-Charm Life by... I was just a little kid and I sang along with do, 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 do. And one of my cousins was like, well, you know that song? And I was like, huh? Yeah. Third Eye Blind. Uh huh. And and uh, one of my other cousins was like, he doesn't know that song. He anyone can sing. Anyone can go like do 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 do. It's like it's not words and it's catchy. Like he just knows that part yeah. of the song. And I w- I felt very attacked by that, mm-hmm. and I felt offended. And that sent me on like a little bit of a crusade to be like, oh okay, like I guess it's important to know music. Do you know what that so- song's about, by the way? It's about like cocaine or something. It's about crystal meth. Doing crystal meth yeah. will lift you up until you break. Cool. Yeah. So hence why one of my cousins was like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you, you're, a, you're a kid. You can't know this song. And I was like, do, do, do. <laughs> and uh, like so, Elliot. so uh, I was like, okay, I got to know some music. I got to have a favorite song, a favorite band. Um, so the first band that I tried to get into uh was Hanson. Oh, good choice. Yeah, because of Umbop. You're like, it feels like particularly like you were like fuck you, doot doots as music, so is Umbops. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. And it's like I was a kid and I was like, 
oh, I didn't know a song could just be some fun nonsense. I and saw them on, do you remember I Love the 90s? Yes. I saw them on I Love the 90s and I remember Isaac being like, I have never heard anybody sing this correctly except for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when you write a bunch of gibberish, you can't expect other people to memorize it the mm-hmm. way that you wrote it. Um, so uh, from Hanson, um, I moved on to my ska phase. And this yes. we've already talked about. And one band in particular, Five Iron Frenzy, uh, was my favorite in like uh, middle school going to high school. And then I met uh, some people in high school who knew cool music and they introduced me to it. And I think it was uh, sophomore year of high school that I first heard of the Decemberists. And mm. the first song, the next song I'm going to play is the first song that I really have any memory of hearing by the Decemberists. And this is also off of Picaresque, which at that time would have been their newest album. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the track immediately before Engine Driver uh, on that album. And it's called 16 Military Wives. Ah, uh, yes. 16 Military Wives 32 softly focused brightly colored eyes Staring at the natural tan, a 32 gently clenching wrinkled little hands. 17 company men, out of which only 12 will make it back again. Sergeant says a letter to five, military wives, his tears drip down to ten little lives. Da, da 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 right? So a little bit of the do 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 a little bit of the umbop, and that becomes a larger and larger part of the chorus as the song goes on. Yeah. But the anchor person says la da 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 da. Um, so uh, we were both bopping along to that song. Um, it's hard not to sing along. Uh, it's catchy, right? It's fun. I do remember. I know that song too because I have listened to. I haven't listened to like everything they've done, but I have listened to all of picaresque because of uh-huh. it being on the, the song i like on it and yeah. yeah that is a catchy song i do remember thinking that it had a sort of um uh 12 days of christmas feel to it <laughs> there's a lot of numbers yes. in it yes and and <laughs> yes you could make a comparison to drummers drumming uh, you know instead of cannibal kings uh, that sort of thing um have you ever seen the music video for this song i don't think so okay so this is essential for me to put in the show notes um there will probably be a few music music videos there um the music video for this is is basically the movie rushmore like it's very obviously rushmore inspired so it's like when taking back sunday just redid fight club for cute without the e never seen it but i'll take your word for it (laughs) uh 
And uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't remember clearly enough the specifics of like when I was exposed to Wes Anderson to know if I had seen Rushmore before I saw the video, but I think I knew what Rushmore was. Mm -hmm. So I think I understood the comparison and it was like, that's another example of how like, this is, this is being like tailor made for me and, and my interests and my sort of, sort of pretentious attitude of like, you know, being concerned with these like very smart seeming things that are also fun and goofy mm -hmm. But, you know, they're not comedy either. They're not, they're not comedy. They are, they're, they're real serious music by a serious band, but there's funny stuff in it. It's sort of like, um, it's sort of like the genre fiction of like indie music. Yeah. Uh, okay. Say more on that. Speak on that. It's sort of like when you're reading like... Amy Bender or something. That's not exactly genre fiction, but it's like right. these are real stories. Um, they're not um, fully fantasy or fully sci-fi or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but they're also not like the side door creaked open. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, magical realism, which is like in that sort of liminal space between genre fiction and like literature yeah you know? the canon right yeah and i think oh that speaking that's... of which can i tell you a fact really quick yeah go for it do you know about okay so the, who's the lead singer of the decemberists i was just going to get to that um i was just going to say and i'm looking at wikipedia uh -huh. i know who the lead singer is it's colin malloy yes i went to wikipedia <laughs> I went to Wikipedia to find the names of the other band members. Off the top of my head, I could only name one other, and that's yeah. Chris Funk. Um, the Decemberists are Colin Malloy, Chris Funk, Jenny Conley, Nate Query, uh, and John Moan. Okay, uh, no. So what were you going to say about so Colin I, Malloy? I just said the canon. He has uh, two children. Mm -hmm. He has a son who was born in... 2006, whose name is Henry Hank Malloy. Mm -hmm. He has a Hank, Hank in quotation marks. Yes. not a, not a middle name. Yes, he has another son who was born in 2013. Do you know this child's name? Don't say what it is. Just do you know it? No, I don't. His name is Milo mm -hmm. Cannonball. Yeah. Okay. Malloy. Cool. Because he apparently let his son Hank, yes, name, <laughs> yes, that is the way to do it. And so his name is Cannonball. Why haven't you done that with Elliot? Well, I would have to make another child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I, I, I can't if Elliot. Well, actually, if Elliot picked a name for somebody, anytime he names something, now he's like Beanie Biney Bine. Mm -hmm. okay. He's so consistent saying this. Sometimes he just says like mm. Beanie or Bernie, but oh, it wow. sounds like he's saying the Latin name for a demon. But also, like I think that Cannonball is the name of the Decemberist son's middle name. You know what I mean? Like that's a name that oh, maybe yeah. he would have picked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I fully thought that that is a decision that Colin Malloy would make mm -hmm. uh, when you first said it before you explained it. 
Um, so what do we think about Colin Malloy and uh, his voice? Um, it's another reason why I can like get into this band because like basically when I was growing up, I was, I was sort of, I don't know. I was obsessed with what I thought of as like, I shouldn't use the word obsessed, but I, I, I was fixated on what, what I was calling originality. Yeah. I just wanted to be different and special and interesting and Mm -hmm. smart and original and anything that wasn't original was boring and anything that was original was like brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so I gravitated towards things that were sort of off center as long as they weren't so far off center that they were like scary. Yeah. Like and that's how, that's how I think of like Colin Malloy's voice is like I've always known that like this guy has an interesting voice because mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily sound like traditionally, you know, speaking like good or pleasing. Mm-hmm. He's got a unique voice. Yes. And that's one one thing that I was drawn to. Um, were you – has this ever been a stumbling block for you? Yeah, it has. And I wish that it wasn't. I mean, this is – again, it's just like – this is one of those things that is like sort of beyond logic for me. Uh-huh. Because I've listened to other people that have what people considered grading voices, but because yeah. – the songs were well written and catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to—I don't want to say get over it, but like learn to love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just couldn't do that here. And it just—it sounds like he's constantly singing sea shanties, which I get is his point, right? Um, I'm looking up really quick um, the name of oh Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria. Okay. Very um, famously has a strange voice. Uh-huh. Um, it's like very high pitched and um, whiny. One might even yeah. say, or not whiny. It has a whine to it. Uh-huh. Um. And yeah, he just always sounds like he's singing a sea shanty or like yeah. It for how catchy like that one song was the six, uh, sixty military wives was. Yeah. I just keep waiting for his voice to be something else. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's a range there as you listen to more songs and more albums. Um, but definitely like the sort of primary mode is that like sea shanty through a phonograph mm-hmm. sort of like uh, uh, the, it, it's like a music out of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like you sort of you can't believe that that this is contemporary music, but it's like it's what you imagine you imagine like it mu- you must be like a history buff to mm. to like you know write these sort of lyrics and like this sort of music um so let's just say um for the sake of creating a narrative that like i'm a sophomore in high school um uh somebody i think is cool uh likes the decemberists uh i hear 16 military wives i think funny great good song uh, I need to get this album picaresque. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And so I do. And then I start listening to it. And then just real quick, um, picaresque starts with this song called The Infanta, mm-hmm. which um, starts like this. 
here she comes in her palanquin on the back. Palanquin. on a bed made of linen and sequins and silk. All astride on her father's line with the king and his concubines and her nurse with her pictures of liquors and So a few things that you can pick up on there. It has this sort of like Eastern, Middle Eastern flair. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know whether they say it's like in Indian, like that region or, or the Middle East. But anyway, it has that. And you, you picked out the word palanquin. Mm-hmm. And it also has a word concubine. This is like, this is scratching an itch for me as a high schooler who is like given like in Amer- it's I'm a sophomore, and sophomore English class means American literature. Yes. And so it, at one time in the year, you get uh, The Great Gatsby, and you yes. get F. Scott Fitzgerald. And at another time, you get uh, The Sun Also Rises, you get Ernest Hemingway. And it's like, you know, the two, uh, you know, the fork in the woods, and what path do you go down? And I was like- And then you get Robert Frost. Right. Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, you re- if you read poetry, which- uh, regrettably <laughs> isn't a big part of the curriculum but mm-hmm. um i was i was a fitzgerald kid you know through and through i was i read the great gatsby and the great gatsby has words like uh fruiterer in it mm-hmm. and i was like ha, ha. <laughs> it's fun <laughs> it's b- learning big words going to the dictionary going like oh wow yeah you know, because we've talked about we we talked about this i talked about this in the grammar episode mm-hmm. i was looking for shortcuts to s- being smart and interesting to stardom and that and that's what you know big words are yes uh, big big obscure words um so but i was also a little... like but also as we discussed there teachers love that shit Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had teachers who loved that and rewarded it to some extent. Um, this is not to say that when I started up this album and I heard this as the first track that I was like all in. Mm-hmm. Like I was kind of shocked by this. I was kind of like, "What did I, what did I buy?" Like this is also huh. like, "What is that? Is that a wolf at the beginning?" I think it sounds like a whale, uh-huh. which might be foreshadowing. The Mariner's Revenge song, which mm. is later on this very same album, which is a a like a basically a literal sea shanty about uh, a guy trying to get revenge on another guy at sea, and mm-hmm. they get swallowed by a whale, and they both live <laughs> long enough <laughs> for him to get revenge, uh, or do they, or is mm-hmm. it, or is it just a fantasy? Um, so. <laughs> um, one more thing that I got to say about this song, the Infanta. In in our uh, uh, episode about The Handmaid's Tale, we talked a lot about needle drops. Mm-hmm. Um, in a different show that we've referenced several times before, this song is used as a needle drop. And I thought it was so weird. So, like, I had the experience of ha- hearing this song for the first time when I bought the album, mm-hmm. you know, on my iPod or maybe even pre before I had an iPod, like, yeah. MP3 player. And I was shocked and I was like, what the heck is this? And then years later, 
they used it on a needle drop on Mad Men. What? Yeah, exactly. Because, like, Mad Men is a show that, like, certainly had a few needle drops, but, like, it's a it's a period drama. It's like you're you're supposed to use songs from the period. Yeah. And I think it's like if I, my memory serves me correctly, I think it's like right near the very beginning of season two of Mad Men. Uh-huh. There's this like montage of like the women characters getting ready in the morning mm-hmm. and like dressing themselves and doing their routines. And this song from like 2000 and whatever by the Decemberists is playing. And that's, and, and I assume that that's some people's association, like whole association with the song uh, is they know it for, as the song from that one scene in Mad Men. That's so, str- that's so strange. Yeah. I said 2000 and whatever. So this is a good enough time as any to locate it more specifically in yeah. time. So picaresque was what was new in 2005. Uh, and it was my entry point. And you can tell me if you think that this is a common relatable experience. I think like you learn of a band, you have an entry point, which is their latest thing. Mm -hmm. And that's your strongest association. Yes. It's your first. And then they have earlier stuff, which you go back and listen to. And that can be good, but it'll never be as strong an association as the entry point. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, next very next thing that they put out which is which can even usurp the first association yeah the strongest depending on how good it is or it's like a close second Mm -hmm. and then there's everything after yeah and that's what that's what it is for me with their with picaresque and what came after was the crane wife Mm -hmm. so when i first heard of them picaresque was what was newest and then their first new thing when I was into them already was the crane wife Mm -hmm. and the crane wife is, is my, it's, it's definitely on my desert Island discs. Mm -hmm. It's, it's basically number one. Their earlier stuff, uh, their first album is called uh, castaways and cutouts. That's the uh, namesake for this podcast, Podcastaways and Cutouts. Mm-hmm. That's from 2002. And then their second album is Her Majesty the Decemberists from 2003. <laughs> Funny title. Uh, Picaresque was 05, Crane Wife 06. So that was perfect for oh, me. Oh, very quick. That they were so close together. And then The Hazards of Love came out in 2009. When we uh, were in college. Yeah, uh, my freshman year. And then The King is Dead came out January 18th, 2011, mm-hmm. my birthday. Oh. Uh, and I was uh, in Scotland at mm-hmm. the time, studying abroad. Uh, what a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World uh, came out in 2015. And their latest, I'll Be Your Girl, came out in 2018. Oh, wow. Okay. So they've been pretty consistent. Pretty consistent. It's not yeah. like they've had like a six-year break or something. Yeah, nothing as significant as that. Um and they're they're still uh working and they're they're doing you know, they've done interesting side projects. Um there's this band called Offa Rex, mm. which to my understanding is is just the Decemberists but with a with an additional lead singer. 
like there's this woman whose name I don't know who sings lead mm-hmm. um and then Colin Malloy sings like kind of second lead on some songs. Mm-hmm. Um they have one album, it's pretty good. We're not going to hear any of that. Um I want to backtrack to um well, let's hear just one more from Picaresque. Okay. And this is a transition for me to say that when I, you know, through the years, I've had all sorts of, you know, favorite songs and preferences among them, and they've shifted a lot. Mm -hmm. But most recently, when I've tried to reflect and go like, what's, what are my favorite songs by them? What I found was, um, they have some really long songs, and those tend to be my favorites. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. There are, there are a few exceptions, mm-hmm. but they've got some like kind of long epics, and I, I, those are the ones that I like currently have the strongest affection for. So that's not a transition into the Mariner's Revenge song from Picaresque, which is eight minutes and 46 seconds, according to YouTube. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, there's another song on Picaresque, which is seven minutes long. And it's called The Bagman's Gambit. Oh, okay. And it starts uh, very slow and quiet. And so we'll hear that first. On the lamb from the lawn On the steps of the capital Shot a plain clothes cop on a ten o'clock. I'm going to let this go on in the background and then I'm going to turn the volume back up when the song makes a transition because it goes on for this for a little bit. Yeah. But it's a kind of like loud, qui- like quiet, loud, quiet, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sequence, you know, pattern. Yeah. Um, and with the time that I'm talking over it, I'll use this moment to say that like um, part of what's going on here is like um, there's a, there's a lot of narrative to some of their songs. Yes. Like their songs tell a story. They're re- really rich. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it, it uh, appealed to the, the fiction reading and, and to some extent fiction writing um, part of me as a, as an adolescent um, and I will also talk about that fiction writing in songwriting in comparison to the Mountain Goats, another oh, band yeah. that we uh-huh. talked about in the making a mix. And my transition for getting into that, and I think I'm going to be interrupted by the song, but I'll mm-hmm. start to say when we listen to the, a song by the Mountain Goats in the making a mix episode, I brought up another defunct podcast that uh, helped inspire this podcast called don't get me started and i talk about the episode where sean clements was the guest and he was talking all about the mountain goats great episode of a good podcast and i vaguely recall that the decemberists did come up in that conversation oh okay um but oh here we go Catch me now. No, they'll never catch me. No, they cannot catch me now. 
So by the laws of fair use, as I understand them, I have to provide a commentary on this song. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that chorus there. That's my commentary. I yeah. love that chorus so much. Uh-huh. Um, so I was saying about the uh, the podcast, uh, the way I remember them bringing up the December is it was kind of a brief mention where they were kind of, you know, comparing like, oh, other bands are like kind of sort of in the same lane as the Mountain Goats, but, you know, doing it differently or not doing it as well. And like, what did the Mountain Goats do? Like, basically, I would characterize like John Darneal. He's the Mountain Goats guy. Mm-hmm. He writes like great short stories, like as songs, right? Yeah. There's a lot of like, um, you know, fictional. Like you can you can picture like, you know, the suburban setting. Mm-hmm. You can you know picture the like, you know, you get a glimpse into this family and you know this couple that you know they've fallen out of love or something, and it's and it's very, um rich and it's emotional and it's specific Mm -hmm. um but it's uh relatable and it's like reading like a really good short story and uh there's also there's a lot of like sincerity and there's a lot of vulnerability in it um but there's also like it's clever and therefore there's some humor to it as Mm -hmm. well and the way i remember them talking about the decemberists is like yeah they also like they're very literary in their interests. Yes. And they're very um, storytelling-y in their songwriting. Mm-hmm. But um, they're they're so, like, twee about it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same. Like, some people don't like Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Some people really can't stand Wes Anderson. Yeah. And, like, the movies that he makes. Um, and uh, for the same reason, you might not like The Decemberist because – it's sort of like watching like people they're like playing dress up in yeah. order to uh you know present their their art to you and what i would say to that is uh playing dress up is fun mm-hmm. and and play is fun and there's a a mode and like a liminal space to to use a term i mentioned earlier where like you're getting at something, you know, actual, actually heartfelt and moving uh, by still engaging in play and what might seem silly or might seem goofy or might seem mm-hmm. frivolous or might seem twee or might seem, uh, you know, like it, there's too much of like an affectation uh, to, to, you know, the presentation or to... Uh, you know the the look or the sound of it or or whatever. Um, I am re- I really gravitate th- towards those things that yeah. are in those spaces that are like doing doing both at once that don't you know that that uh there there's a kind of song and it's not just songs it's other stuff too but there's like a kind of song where like on its face it's just silly in fact stupid sometimes Mm -hmm. and i hear it once and i laugh but at the same time it's a good enough song that my relationship with it doesn't end there yeah like some jokes it's like you hear a joke it makes you laugh goodbye forever Mm -hmm. like it's just a joke but then there are some things that make you laugh and 
they're enjoyable on repeat listenings or viewings Mm -hmm. and it's lost its surprise for you because you've already heard it once. So you're not going to laugh at it the same way you did the first time every time. Yeah. And so that's not the point of why you're enjoying it on repeat. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's funny and it's good. Yeah. And those good, funny things have a way of becoming very serious to me. Mm -hmm. They have a way of like, you know, because I can like make it my own, like, cause I can like own how much I like the song and I can like sing along with it. It's, it's like, it's like fun to deliver a joke. It's, it's like, and, and it's like the song that I, you know, don't stop or we'll die is a, a band that we talked about in the making a mix episode. They're basically a comedy band, but they're making comedy music. That's so weird yeah. that it can't be called straightforward comedy. Like in the way that like the lonely Island is. Yes. And their song that I put on our mix, Space Worm, mm-hmm. has lyrics like, I know it's not December, but I really must remember to feed you, oh, to feed you to my little space worm, yeah. which is just stupid nonsense. Yes. But then when they get into the chorus and they sing the chorus and the chorus is one last thing before you go, there's something you ought to know. Like, I actually like really like that song in a way where like, I'm like, emotionally connected to it yeah. I, it's not just like a a farce that i enjoyed um and the decemberists are somewhere on that spectrum mm-hmm. where they're like in this very like for some people it would be too left of center to really um feel for it but for me it's like right in that like middle of the spectrum sweet spot where yeah. it's like all things yeah no, I think you're totally right. I mean, I think this goes back to what I was saying with like um like genre too where mm-hmm. something is um in such a strange place that it's like funny and fun but then also mm-hmm. like accidentally becomes deeply meaningful. Yes. Um uh this happened in BoJack Horseman this season. Have you watched yeah. BoJack this season? Yes, absolutely. We, we haven't finished it yet, um, but mm. there's an episode where she is uh, where um, who is Amy? Uh, Princess Carolyn. Yep, is um, taking care of her new baby, mm-hmm. and uh, it does this amazing job of showing just the exhaustion of having to take care of a baby. Well, they'll they'll have like multiple like um, like shadow figures of her doing the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the episode, the whole episode, she's been having to remember all of these different people's food preferences for this party mm-hmm. that she's having. Right. And they're all puns. They all are, are right. sound play and word play. Yes. And then at the end, she realizes that her baby, who's rather fussy, is actually pretty calmed down by her repeating all of these puns and word play. Right. Yes. And it's so meaningful to the episode. But it's also meaningful to the whole goddamn show. Right. Exactly. Um, and we're in its last season right now. Yeah. Um, because the show, I mean, the first, I think that show is brilliant, but it's not a show that I would say is like a perfect series because I think that mm-hmm. the first season especially started out slow as they were building up the world. But yeah. the thing that kept me in was the puns. And yes. so um, I think that the same, so so for them to have a payoff, right? That's right, like right. 
hey, this isn't just going to have a meaning that's, like, fun. Yeah. I think the same thing is happening with the Decemberists, um, where it's – and I and I also feel this way about media a lot of the time, where I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I know it seems ridiculous, but then it turns, and it's, like, yes. so hard to explain the turn. Right. And there's a kind of interesting, like, point of contrast here, I think, between the two different types of media that we're talking about, where, mm-hmm. like – only on television can you pull off what you felt from that episode of BoJack because you've been watching it for a few years now and and television goes on like that. And so when you have a payoff like that, where you're, where they like write, you know, in like a, a clever, but like emotional, like reason, like a use for, like something that they've been doing for fun for years. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, the, the payoff is all the greater because of how long running it is. Whereas there's a there's a kind of not opposite, but but different thing in music where it's like uh, songs you might listen to thousands of times, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of your life. And so it's not uh long running the way the uh television series is but it's like on repeat more than you know most other media that you would consume yeah yeah and and so it you you can kind of create resonance like that by you know making it long running on mm-hmm. on uh you know uh extended repeats so let's have time for a few more songs and let's backtrack this is continuing with what i said about favoring the long songs um but this is my way of sort of hitting each album and backtracking to the first one castaways and cutouts the last track on that album is one of my favorites of their songs and it's really two songs and that's why it's almost 10 minutes long Uh it's called california one slash Youth and Beauty Brigade. Mm-hmm. And so it's this song called California One for about five, six minutes. And then there's this like transition that's kind of neither song. And then for the last like three minutes or so, it's Youth and Beauty Brigade. So let's just hear a little bit of that. This song has kind of a long intro, but I'll just talk over this part to say what hearing this made me think of was um, uh, interesting instrumentation is something that I am also drawn to. Yeah. You'll hear different instruments depending on the songs and like the big strings that you hear in that intro. Like that's that's appealing to me sort of blending genres by using different instruments. So it's kind of a nice uh, sort of melancholy love song. And then let me skip really far ahead and see if just just by a combination of luck and memory, 
I can find the part of Youth and Beauty Brigade that I really go nuts for, which mm-hmm. is the bridge. the chorus you're hearing there and i kind of cut in sort of uh in the middle but towards the beginning of the bridge uh i love that song there that's my commentary fair use hashtag fair use i will say about that song i'm pinpointing a little bit more about his accent okay it's not his accent but this is Mm -hmm. why i'm saying this which is that like he almost sounds like he has like an Irish or a Scottish accent when he's singing. Yeah, right. But he's not. No, and that's Question and mark. I think and uh, yeah, uh, that's true. I think that he's um I'm 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 not one of those people who gets so into a musician or a band that I like study them and like know about their biography and stuff. Yeah, or like maybe occasionally uh, talk to their wives on Instagram. Right, as you as you would and have. Uh, but my understanding is that they're a Portland band. So mm-hmm. they're like a Pacific Northwest uh, uh, type people. But there is like a, yes, like a UK slash sort of New England. Like affectation. Affectation, yeah. There might be like sort of a persona happening. Yeah. Um, and I think that that goes along with the sort of like, seems like music out of time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, old timey uh, vibe to it. Um, feels like a, a throwback. Um, but and and I think some of their music sounds, some of the songs that we're not hearing, old or not, are more contemporary sounding. Um, and I think that that's generally truer, like the more recent uh you look at their stuff mm-hmm. um there's there's a kind of i think kind of remarkable like consistency across this like uh you know almost two decades of putting out albums yeah but at the same time um i i think that there's not like a stagnation like mm-hmm. i think that there's like enough interesting like experimentation um that they have like evolved Mm -hmm. um so um let me drop uh actually let's go into another song um so that was from their first album um they had one other album as i mentioned before picaresque which is what we already heard a bunch from that their second album is her majesty to the decemberists and one of my favorite songs is seven minutes long and it's called i was meant for the stage Mm -hmm. And this is this is an example of like something that like could easily be a comedy song and it makes me laugh and then it just sticks with me and I become like the singer in my mind. Yes. And it's like a fun it's like there's there's a clear like irony mm-hmm. um to to the lyrics and it's also a song that devolves into noise in a way that was like clearly written to be like there are some songs I haven't 
been to a ton of concerts in my life, but I've been to enough rock concerts to recognize that like there are some songs that bands write and they must know when they write it that like this is a song that we will that we'll just go nuts during on stage and it'll be like the song that's like okay to like interrupt for like a bunch of solos uh-huh. like in the middle of the song like each person will get a solo maybe it's the song where like towards towards the end of the concert the lead singer like introduces each band member by name uh-huh. like while they're still in the middle of playing the song so i was or maybe it's the sta- song that they do like at an encore where they're going to like just let everybody go up on stage and like fuck around Sure. Yeah. Or they're going to like, you know, ruin some equipment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, uh, So this is a little bit of I was meant for the stage. I was meant for the stage. I was meant for the curtain. I was meant to tread these boards of this much, I am certain. So it goes on like this, and it's pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And um, I say it's, it's, it's very close to a comedy song, and part of that is there is like – escalation uh to the lyrics in the way that you would write a comedy skit you know Mm -hmm. like it has to escalate to the point where you know later in the lyrics it's like um the heavens at my birth intended me for stardom rays of light shone down at me and all my sins were pardoned Mm -hmm. like this is funny and it just gets you know bigger and bigger like that um to the point where the lyrics stop and the song just uh devolves and goes nuts and let's hear a little bit of that all right that's enough yeah that's an encore I love it. That's a uh, let's make everybody just throw their bodies to the ground and like right. die. Yeah. And and I'm not a live concert kind of person. I think that seeing live music is usually like it's it's clearly like very hard for the musicians to do. It's like a feat of athleticism. Uh-huh. And to a lesser extent, I think as an audience member, there's some endurance involved. That's true, which I feel more and more. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I've I've felt even as a, a young man. Um, but uh, so, so, yeah, just just me just as a, you know, listening at home, listening to the album. Um, that's that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like a going nuts on stage experience. I just I, I, I get a lot of joy out of hearing that. Um, and you, 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 if you could hear, if you could pick out anything in that cacophony, you, you might've noticed, you know, there are some horns in there. Mm -hmm. So that's a continuation of what I was saying about the interesting, um, uh, instrumentation and the differences, um, between songs. And, uh, it's also a continuation of, uh, my ska phase. I'll say, I'll say this again with another song we're going to listen to, but like, um, even though, ska hasn't been my genre of choice for years like i still i still like some really like 
ska adjacent like rock and yeah, that like, makes sense. indie music you know yeah. and like rock and roll with horns is still like uh, a, a, a pleasure for me um okay so we've already heard more than enough from picaresque so that brings us to the crane wife which right. i already said is my favorite yes and it's not just my favorite of theirs but it's basically my favorite album overall mm-hmm. and you just have to hear the first track to know why um and uh the first track is called the crane wife three and that, that <laughs> it's another example of like oh maybe it's a little bit of uh maybe you'll you'll feel manipulated by time travel uh-huh. knowing that it starts with the crane wife three and then it's not until later in the album that you get the crane wife one and two but uh-huh. um that kind of you know interesting oh there's something non-linear happening he- happening here that's like yeah. automatically interesting to me so we're talking about a lot of uh, uh itches that they scratch so yes. let's hear some of this beautiful beautiful song the first verse what is he saying under the bows and bows bows or yeah. bows bows and bows okay spelled um, the same th- sorry spelled the same i think so like tree limbs uh that's my understanding yeah that's okay. that's how i've always understood it um uh you're, are you familiar with this song yeah i am mm-hmm. yeah i think they used it in an episode of scrubs that makes sense um, yeah this was this was a moment where the Decemberists had uh, started to establish themselves mm-hmm. and uh, they, you know, would, uh, you know, uh, show up on a, on Scrubs, a thing like that. Um, they've been in an episode of The Simpsons mm-hmm. uh, as themselves. Um, I don't think that they've uh, ever done SNL, um, but mm-hmm. they're they've dipped their toes in, you know, the you know, mainstream culture um in that way so what do you think about this song you if if you if you know it um i think this is one of the songs i like better out Mm -hmm. of all of them Um, this is this is one of their best it's so um it feels really lush in a way that doesn't feel like um trite and the other songs don't feel trite but there's just Mm -hmm. like a something yeah it's sort of like it, there was a man at AWP this year, AWP, the writing conference that you and I go to pretty much every year. Mm-hmm. There was a man at AWP in a full bespoke suit with a, a waxed, curled, and curled mustache and a top hat. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is almost the place for that. Right. Yes. <laughs> it is. It, it, in its, we've been talking about, you know, phonograph, old timey, sea shanty. Uh, persona. This is like we're almost in the realm of like steampunk here. Yes. 
But to to me, this is like this is like what it what well like what if you what if you did that just in like there is something appealing about that. Yes, like absolutely. when you when you see when you see it often it is deeply embarrassing. Yeah. And you and you go, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. But but at the same time, like in theory It's so like, cool. In theory, vests, stopwatches, gears, top hats, dress up is fun. Yes. Uh, and so I think, yes, if if you if you don't go for this kind of thing, then you'll look at the Decemberists the way that you look at a steampunk man at AWP. But um, if if you if you if you don't go for it in some doses, then I think that you may be somewhat lacking in whimsy and mm-hmm. you know some of the some of the fun things that bring some joy into my life and this is you know the decemberists certainly they've they, you know they've had a lot of songs and there are some songs that like i won't listen to as much and maybe those are the ones that go a little too far in, uh, into that d- direction into that realm but like basically you know i'm i'm with them on this journey because they're they're doing it in just the right dose for me to enjoy it and and um uh find resonance as well as fun uh to be had there um so we're getting a little long in the episode so i'll just try to breeze more quickly through some of the other songs and things that i thought i would say um when we were when i was a freshman and you were a sophomore Mm. uh the hazards of love came out Right. Oh, actually, wait. Well, sorry. Let me backtrack real quick. I was going to say about the Crane Wife, the Crane Wife one and two, also great song. If you listen to them all together, beautiful. Do you know the story of the Crane Wife at all? I don't. It, wait, so, this is actually like an actual folktale, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so this is something that they'll often do, and sometimes you know it, and sometimes you don't. And I think something that can be said for them, in my experience, is like, oh, you can get like the fulfillment of the song, like whether you understand the context or not. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's just more enriching to know some of that context because some of their songs might be based on like a real thing from history. And some Mm -hmm. of them might be based on like real folklore. Yeah. And the crane wife is an example of that. It's a real um, story. I'll put something about it in the show notes so that you can see what it actually is and, and compare it to the, the, crappy version that i'm about to say yeah which might be totally wrong for example i'm gonna say i think that it is a japanese folktale i was gonna say i think it's japanese okay. yeah sorry if i'm wrong but uh it's a folktale of a man who um uh it's snowy at his house and there's a crane uh in need of help outside his house and he helps it and it flies away and then a woman visits him and becomes his wife and they're in love but the wife uh she goes into a room to weave or something like that Mm -hmm. and and create things that they sell or something and and she's like you know you must never come into this room while i'm working um and then one day he does and um in it's instead of his wife there's a crane in there and it flies yeah. away and his wife is gone yeah um so that's the crane wife and that's like 
something that you can take to the song and the lyrics of the song and it, it it's i think it's beautiful mm-hmm. so the hazards of love a concept album a true concept album yes um uh, a story uh spanning the entire album envisioned as like uh an opera or like an operetta or something to that effect and just like wasn't gonna work on stage Mm -hmm. and so colin malloy reworked it into this album um and this was like uh kind of a big deal um to me and then to some of my friends uh when we were in college um there's this song the wanting comes in waves slash repaid Mm-hmm. And uh, we know someone, um, a certain devotee of the podcast, uh, who has a a wave uh, tattoo uh, with uh, some lyrics from this uh, very song. And, I actually uh, quote that all the time. Yeah? Yeah, but I'll replace it with other things. Okay. What like, does that mean? Like, I'll say... I'll say, you know, the wanting comes in waves and, like, the grief comes in waves. Like, when people... Yeah. Have, I think it's true of a lot of things where I think we expect um, something very a, linear. A beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Yeah. And Rather than this more, cyclical process. Yeah. And it's more wave shaped, which is mm-hmm. to say that, like, you know, waves can settle down, I think. Right. Ebbs and flows. Yeah. yeah. So let's hear a little bit of that song because I said we would try to hear a little bit from each album. I think this is a harpsichord. Yeah, it sounds like a harpsichord. Mother, I can hear your footfall Now, soft disturbance in the deadfall How it precedes you like a black smoke Still the wanting comes in ways. And there are multiple uh, vocalists, not only uh, on this uh, track, but on the album, um, because they're playing uh, different characters because mm-hmm. there is a story and they have different relationships. So I'm cutting ahead a to hear uh, so you can hear how the song changes and you can hear uh, the other vocalist. Now you can hear why it's called The Wanting Comes in Waves slash Repaid. And that's a real yeah. headbanger of a jam, I think. That's I was going to say, commentary. it feels, it sort of reminds me of um, Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're uh, you're not wrong. I understand. And I don't that mean comparison. that in like a condescending way. Yeah, sure. And and, and I, I don't take it that way. There's, there's, I, yeah, uh, my, my own uh, mother is a big fan of Meatloaf. And so. 
I heard uh, that uh, growing up and, and I find something to appreciate there as well. So uh, I can meet you on that level. Um, the hazards of love, it, I think of it as like sort of an epic achievement, right? Because yeah. of this concept and because of the whole story and the instrumentation is very epic and the different vocalists, they're so um, unique and they're, they're so outstanding. Um, just in the interest of time, we're moving on. Their next album, it, 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 it there's a real um, Avengers to Iron Man three sort of yes. moment in this discography, right? Where it's like, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. You know, after you've made the Hazards of Love, and the answer for the Decemberists was they went to a remote cabin, mm-hmm. as one and, does. Yes, and they made this like cabin album that mm-hmm. was just like, let's take a retreat, let's get away. And they wrote something really rustic, and that that song, that album is is called "The King Is Dead." And I think of this is like if they're sort of a genre bending like indie rock, you know, but like indie folk rock, then this is like gravitating more towards the folk, like almost country uh, uh, aspect. That's what this album is. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hear just a little bit of the song "June Hymn." Harmonica, another different mm. instrument. <laughs> Here's a hymn to welcome in the day, heralding a summer's early sway, and all the bulbs all coming in to begin. The thrushes bleeding battle with the wrens disrupts my reverie again. Pegging clothing on the line. Training Jasmine how to vine up the arbor to your door and more. So fading that out. And uh, it's a really pretty song. Yeah, it is. Uh, That's my commentary. Hashtag fair use. Um, And uh, this is an album that is like, uh, it's good. It's not my favorite of theirs. Um, uh, but it it it's one of those albums where it's like you pick out your your favorite songs and maybe like fifty percent of the songs are like ones that you will listen to again yeah. and again and the rest are kind of disposable. Um, real quick, there's an al- there's a song on this particular album. I think it's Calamity Song, mm-hmm. and the 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 music video for Calamity Song was directed by Mike Schur. Oh, yeah, from The Good Place and Parks and Rec. Exactly, and from first The Office. Yes. And the music video portrays the Decemberists as spectators of a game being played on a tennis court by some preppy-looking kids. Uh Uh-huh. But it's not a game of tennis. Uh Uh-huh. It's a game of eschaton. Which is from Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Oh, my God. Now, why would Mike Shore direct that music video? Mm-hmm. You watch The Office, right? Yeah. Do you remember uh, Michael had a boss at Dunder Mifflin whose name was David Wallace? Yeah. Do you think that's a coincidence? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Shore had to direct this music video 
because Mike Schur owns the film rights to Infinite Jest. Liz is making a shocked face. That's so funny. Yeah. And by making this music video portraying the game of Eschaton from the novel, they were essentially like using those film rights. Oh, my God. Um, that's that's what a fan uh, Mike Shore is. Uh-huh. That he he was like, I I can't I can't let anyone else have this. And all those DFW fans were like, finally, our our day has come. I, I I assume, yeah. Um I read that novel one summer. I have not. It's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Good on you. Um so they've had uh two more albums since and uh what a terrible world, what a beautiful world is um a fine album. Uh not their best. Um, but there's a there's one particular song on it that is one of my favorites, oh. and it's called Cavalry Captain. It's practically, it's basically a ska song. Yeah, there, it is. There's so, it's so horn forward. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of what I'm responding to, loving that song. Um, uh, that's another video I guess I'll put in the show notes. This is the music video where they're, it looks like they're parodying Scientology, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's called Decemberism, <laughs> um, which is fun because they, it, you know, had been a band with that name for quite a few years and and never done that before mm-hmm. um the, the the name the decemberist is actually the name of a, a russian revolutionary group that i one time heard about in european history class yeah, in that, junior that year of high school. Right. that's on brand right exactly yeah so that's that's the kind of thing we know about them uh i like that song cavalry captain that's my commentary hashtag fair use and then their latest album is uh, called I'll Be Your Girl. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a pretty good album. Oh, uh, good. With some pretty good songs. Um, I, I don't think that they are like at their peak uh, uh-huh. right now as uh-huh. a band. I think that picaresque crane wife window is, is the apex and that's right in the middle. Um, but still good. And I think that this song that we're going to hear a little bit of, uh, this nice short and sweet uh, two minute and 40 second song called your ghost is one of their best ever. Okay. Uh, this song, uh, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it, it just, it just tickles me, mm-hmm. you know? And maybe, maybe it's just like a novelty to some, to some people, but I don't know. I just, I just vibe on it. Let's hear a little bit of your ghost.
I'm keeping it going because I want you to hear there are some backup vocals mm -hmm. that come up soon. But you can hear there's like a vocal effect on Colin Malloy. Yeah. It really is like there's a, like a reverb to it. Mm -hmm. And it almost does have that like phonograph quality in like a more literal way. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a little glimpse of the backup vocals that I wanted you to hear. Um, I just, I just think that song is so catchy mm -hmm. and it's so fun and lyrically it's, it's, uh, uh, just a, a blast. And mm -hmm. Is it, I don't know. I don't know if it's about anything, but it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like a fun, like Gothic sort of like, you know, um, little romp. Um, so in the interest of wrapping it up, uh, what have I left out? I guess I could. I guess I should say I have seen them live. And, and yeah, how was that? When, was when did you see them live? I've actually seen them live twice. It's one of the rare bands that I've seen more than once. And the mm -hmm. first time was after Hazards of Love. So I think this would have been in 2010 or maybe. So when I knew of, you, end of 2009. Uh, Dana and I saw them at Radio City Music Hall. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, the format of the show was uh, it's like in two acts. And the first act is they will play the Hazards of Love from start to finish. Oh, wow. How album. long is that album? Oh, um, 40 minutes. Okay. So shorter. So, yeah. So yeah, it's easy to or, do. That's that's just an estimate off the top of my head. I yeah, could be dead fine. wrong. And then there was a little intermission. And then they came back and they did another act like just as long, but just uh, – menagerie of old stuff yeah and like a cover or two mm -hmm. uh and it was a blast and then uh after the king is dead came out as i said i was in scotland at the time right and they did a little uk tour and dana and i saw them in leeds england wow and i remember thinking that they seemed a little maybe tired or like they it wasn't a show where you go like, oh, wow, they were just having so much fun. You yeah. know, it was it was a little more workmanlike. Um, but I was, uh, you know, sort of as opposed to Radio City Music Hall, where it was like it's Radio City Music Hall, like there are seats and yeah. like it's like a theater with seats. Um, uh, this was like we were like in the pit and like pretty close to the stage. And like, so it was nice. like, oh, wow. It, it's almost like I could reach up and touch them. So like whether they were having fun or not, that made it like a special experience for me. Mm -hmm. Got a great picture of me smiling into the camera with Colin Malloy, like right over my shoulders, yeah. uh, singing in the background. Um, in fact, now that I'm thinking of it, that'll probably be the image for this episode of the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, uh, any any f final thoughts? Have I has has anything we've heard or anything I've said done anything to sway you? I think the conclusion I think I've come to is I think this is a band I probably would appreciate more if I saw them live. Which is when you were saying mm. like, oh, and I know that you've seen them live twice, but um, mm -hmm. like one of my favorite bands, Me Without You, I've seen play like seven times. Yeah, or something. I was there, one and of those you were there times. for one of them. And mm -hmm. I plan on seeing them again when they do their full album tour for Brother Sister and then when they do their they're doing a farewell tour at the end of this year, twenty twenty, mm -hmm. that is. Um and so I think that this is a band that I think I would get a lot more into if I saw them live. I think mm -hmm. also if I had known someone when I was younger yeah. than you, 
than when I knew mm-hmm. you, who right. loved them. I think maybe I could have gotten more into them. Again, it's all there, right? Like all the yeah. pieces I like are there. And and I will actually provide Me Without You as a contrast here, which mm. how much Me Without You have you listened to? It's like three of their albums. Like Me Without You doesn't do a storytelling thing as much, but they are really steeped in like ritual and history yeah. and religion and right. like, but the, the myth of religion specifically mm-hmm. and like different religions and... Um, I, and he also sort of sings in an odd way and I am obsessed and his albums have been, yeah. I mean, his, me without you's albums, but like Aaron Weiss's delivery of the way he's singing has radically changed between like A to B life and, um, it's all crazy. It's all false. It's all a dream where yeah. it went from being like more like post hardcore and, and a little bit like emo to being mm-hmm. like folk yeah and um that just as you're talking as you were explaining this i was like oh it's just like it's me without you and then i was like but why don't i like it then (laughs) and if if i if i could identify a difference i think that uh, from what i know of me without you from having heard a few of those albums and being being at one of those live shows i i guess um i'm not an expert but i've gotten the impression that like Seeing and hearing like that performance, it's like, oh, that guy is like going somewhere. Like he's yeah. like, he's like pushing it to the limits. Like, um, that this might be like a somewhat transcendental, like almost like going into a trance, yeah, kind of experience. Um, whereas like I've never gotten that from the Decemberists. I've yeah. always, I've always gotten like. There's a persona, there's like a distance between like the real person and the performance. Um, it's not like a holy shit, like that musical artist is doing such a feat of athleticism by doing this performance. They're like, you know, they could be hurting themselves practically. The Decemberists yeah. are like putting on a nice suit and like playing the Victrola for I you. Like, I just feel like what you just described is like, the perfect description of the difference between the way you and I consume media. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, right. There's, yeah. There, I mean, I'm, I've just been so entrenched in irony for so long, you know, <laughs> during, during some of the most formative years. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's probably poisoned my brain but, and, but, and injured but, my ability to enjoy, uh, or, or take in, you know, sincere things. Well, and I think, I don't think you disliked, me without you from what i can tell but like i just feel like for you to be like yeah i like this because it just feels like such a performance specifically and me without you feels like an experience and i'm like i mm. want to feel like my body's falling apart like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i will also say as a note because i know you you said you know it looks like that guy could get hurt um i did buy the um the documentary slash live performance of um, the last show of a to, the A to B life tour that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the tour that they did that I saw um, when Bob was in the hospital two days before we took him off of life. I mean, I wasn't there, but before he was taken off of life support by people that weren't me. And um, the drummer who I feel bad that I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he, they were interviewing him and he was like, when I was, you know, I was listening to the album and I was sort of practicing the, the drum stuff mm-hmm. and that's our first album it's more of our like hardcore album and i was doing it and i was i called aaron and i said 
dude, I can't do this tour. Like, it's too hard on my body. Like, it's mm-hmm. exhausting to do this right. drumming this way. We don't dr- – yeah. I don't drum like this anymore because it's too mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that that assessment is – I think that assessment is incredibly correct. And I don't mean to diminish anything that the Decemberists are doing. Because no, I'm sure it's it has its own challenges and, and I'm sure that uh, – well, anyway – uh, but, but the perception, whether we, regardless of what the reality is for them, the performers, yes. the, the perception for us as audience members is, is different in the way that I articulate it. Mm. So, um, I put one last song in my playlist, oh, um, good. because they do, um, they, like any band, they also have EPs, not mm-hmm. just the LPs that we've been focusing on. And I think that, uh, they've had some really, really good songs that are, uh, on EPs only. Um, and just as a transition, just one final question for you. Yes. Um, do you ever sing in the shower? Constantly. Or, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're like me, like I, I, now I listen to podcasts while I'm in the shower, but. I but, don't listen uh, to podcasts in the shower cause it's, it can't get them loud enough. That's why I have this Bluetooth speaker, which was a gift from Dana, which is <laughs> specifically because I was trying to listen to podcasts in the shower and my phone wasn't loud enough. But, um, I, I, uh, for, for many years, uh, had a habit of singing in the shower. And if it's not in the shower, just when I'm in the house alone, um, I tend to do that. Um, just like to exercise my voice in that way and songs get stuck in my head. And, um, I think that there's something to be said for like, what are the songs that you sing in the shower? And like, are you like me? And they're like constantly on repeat and you're just mm-hmm. like, you just get into like a, like this one. And it's like that one for, a, you know, over and over for a long time. And this is one of those songs. This song by the December is, is called apology song. And it's a perfect example of something that on its face should just be a light little farce. And then I've repeated it over and over and over again in my head, giving it this like gravitas that it may not actually have. Mm. Um, let's just hear a little bit of apology song. I think you'll, you'll basically get it from hearing the very beginning. I'm really sorry, Steven, <laughs> but your bicycle's been stolen. I can't count the number of times that I've sung this song, Directed singing to along, listened to it, or <laughs> yes, my father, Stephen. Um, that goes, that could feed into my theory, uh, which is that I think that Steve is the comedy name. I think that if you, if, if, if there's, sorry, dad, <laughs> but I think if there's like a place in your joke yeah. for just a random man's name, yeah. Steve is the go-to. Yes. Agreed. I think. Yeah. Um, so, sorry. Uh, anyway, that's apology song. Um, check it out. It's off of their, it's off of their EP called five songs. And mm-hmm. yes, appropriate that it is a song about apologizing to Stephen and I, I'm apologizing to my own S- Steve for saying <laughs> his name is the comedy name. Um, that's uh, the end of my uh, topic. And yes. The end of the episode. Wow. Congratulations, uh, Will. I think you've swayed me you. a little bit. Maybe if we're together, we can um, we can listen to them in yeah. the, in the in a car. 
Yeah, yeah. Let's get in a car. <laughs> or, should, um, we, you know, you should take a long drive with me yes. on California One. Uh-huh. That's one of the songs that we heard earlier. You should, um, like, drive me to karaoke and then we can sing um, mm. Semi Charm Life together. <laughs> do, I'll just sing the do do do. Yeah, I can do the you other can parts. The, I can yeah. do it. I've done it. You, I have it more largely, <laughs> largely memorized, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would, uh, yeah, let's do karaoke. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Liz. Bye, Will. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>